Happy Independence Day. Uh, it's, a, it's a great weekend. We're blessed to live in a country that was founded on God's Word. In our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution are based on the principles that are found in the Bible. I'd like us to watch a, a short video clip about the beliefs of our founding fathers. The man that founded this country, it's called Cornerstone of Freedom. Amazing statements from our founding fathers of their belief in God and the principles on which this country was founded. And so today, we enjoy the freedoms that God helped these men to found this country upon. We have freedom of religion, freedom to worship as we please. We have freedom to follow God's ways in all of our lives. And why do we have these freedoms in America today? Because God used men of faith to found this country on Christian principles. Psalm 33, 12, I'd encourage you to pull out your white page in the middle of your bulletin. You can follow along in the outline there as the verse is written out. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now in context, this verse is about the nation of Israel, but any nation will be blessed that acknowledges that God is the ruler of that nation. On the flip side, nations that do not acknowledge God and do not acknowledge His word are not going to be blessed. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. What is righteousness? Well, righteousness is right behavior. It's following God's instructions in life. The more that a nation follows God's directions, that nation will be blessed. And the more that a nation disobeys God's directions, that nation will decline. Now, biblically speaking, no person can be righteous enough to have a relationship with God. And that's why each one of us must put our faith in Jesus Christ in order to have that relationship, in order to be forgiven. And once we are in a relationship with God, God helps us to keep his commands, to keep his instructions. And the more believers there are in a nation who are following God's instructions, the more that nation will be blessed. Now, even, God, even unbelievers can follow God's commands to some extent and receive God's blessing in their lives. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Deuteronomy 4.8 says, And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I've set before you today? Speaking of the law that God gave through Moses. Nations that follow the principles of God's word will be great. They'll be blessed by God. Now, some say that you can't expect unbelievers to follow God's word. Now, of course, we can and we should. All good laws are based on the principles of the Bible. That's what our founding fathers believed. Not everybody was a Christian. This was a Christian country. It's laws and constitution were written based on biblical principles, and everyone, whatever religion, is expected to follow those laws. A simple example, the sixth commandment we'll talk about today is you shall not murder. We have laws that forbid murder. We expect everyone, regardless of religious belief, to obey that command, and there are many others as well. And so we can and should work to see our nation, the nation of America in which we live, follow the principles of God's word. And so today we're going to talk about God's directions. 
God is our creator, and as our creator, he knows what's best for us. And so he has given to us what I call a manual for life, an owner's manual for life, which is the Bible, God's word. Now, in our message series, which we've been going through from the book of Exodus, we've seen God set Israel free from slavery in Egypt. And the Lord saved them from the Egyptian army and brought them through the Red Sea. And now, in our story, they're at Mount Sinai, and God is giving Israel his directions for their lives. Exodus 20, which we'll be looking at today, it said, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so God redeemed, he set Israel free, and now he was going to give them directions so that they could keep their freedom that they had just won. And in today's message, we're going to learn how obedience to God's directions lead to blessing in our individual lives and blessing in the nation in which we live. Now, the first major topic of God's instructions, God's commands, is that God instructs us first and foremost to love God. Today, we're going to be looking at the commands that God wrote down for Moses and the people of Israel on some stone tablets. We don't know what happened to those stone tablets. Uh, I don't know whether they exist anymore. Somebody's going to find them or not. I kind of doubt it. But these Ten Commandments laid the basis for the laws that God gave to govern the nation of Israel. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament, the moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. And the Ten Commandments are the foundations of God's moral law. The New Testament clearly teaches that God's moral law applies to us today. And so we are going to look at these ten instructions, directions, or commandments. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. Jesus summed up these commands by saying we must love God with everything we have, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. The first commandment is to have no other gods. Commandment number one, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God tells us that he has to have the preeminent place in our lives. He is the only one that we should acknowledge as God. In the Israelites' day, people worshipped many other gods of the surrounding people. The temptation for the Israelites was to worship both the Lord and the gods of the other nations at the same time. And that's often what they tried to do, to have the best of both worlds. But that is not having any other gods before him. God forbade them from having other gods in their lives. Today, we may not call the things we have before God with a capital G as gods, but we have them as well. Anything that causes us to sin and disobey the Lord God is a God before him. We're going to talk more about that in a few minutes. The second commandment or instruction is another aspect of loving God, another aspect of really having no other gods. We are to worship God alone. Verse 4 continues, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And so in this, in this uh, direction, God prohibits the worship of any idols. We are to worship the Lord alone. And the essence of, of this command is that we are not to worship anything that's been created either by our own hands or anything that's been created by, by God. 
And of course, everything we see around us is created. The only uncreated thing in the universe is God. Everything else is created, and so we are to worship Him alone. To worship is to acknowledge that some created thing or being has power, and we submit to that power in order to get something we want. And that's why the Israelites worshiped the gods of other nations. They thought they had some power, and if they worshiped Baal, perhaps their crops would be blessed. The rain would come in the due season. Most people in America worship idols, but they don't even realize it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Third commandment is we are to honor God's name. Verse 7. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Other translations say you should not misuse the name of the Lord. And so if there is only one true God, and he's the only God, and we worship him alone, we must naturally be careful to honor his name, to not misuse his name. Just as we would not speak negatively or carelessly about a person we love, we should honor the name of the Lord above anything else. And so this commandment prohibits profanity, using God's name, as well as angry, joking, or careless usage as well. We ought to honor the name of God, which represents everything that he is. Number four, our final command in the section of loving God is to take a Sabbath rest. Verse eight, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And so this command instructs us to take a day a week to rest. And oftentimes we just leave it there, right? A day to rest. Well, it says it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It's a day to rest and it's a day to honor God, a day to worship God. And the reason which is given in the next verses, which I don't have up there, is that God worked in creation for six days. And on the seventh, what did he do? He rested. And we are to follow his pattern. To work six days or five, um, but rest at least the seventh. And what happens when we rest on the seventh day? What happens when we take time to honor God on that seventh day, to worship God on that seventh day? Well, it demonstrates that, first of all, we're obeying his instructions. We're obeying his commands in this fourth commandment. And secondly, we're trusting that God is going to take care of us if we only work six days a week. See, some people say, I've got to work seven in order to make it. And God says, trust me. Six days is enough. I'll take care of you if you don't work on that seventh day. God knows that we need for ourselves a regular time to worship and a regular time to rest. So in the New Testament, the normal Sabbath rest day was changed from Saturday to Sunday, the day of the resurrection. And we show our love for God by following these four commands of the Ten Commandments, these four directions. So let's talk for a few minutes more about how these directions or commandments apply to our lives today as we seek to love God. We said before, most Americans don't have idol images that they worship, although I know that people of other religions in America have little idols and shrines and things uh, that they set up, probably more than we know. 
or we really realize are, are worshiping carved things and little things in their houses that we're not even aware of. But I don't believe most Americans have those type of idol images, but most Americans do have idols in their lives that are before the Lord God. Idols are anything that we give priority and serve above the Lord. We must have the highest place in our life. Good things can become idols when they are prioritized in worship. What are idols that we have in America? Well, common idols are things like money. I'll do anything to get more money. Uh, that's what I live for. That's what I work for. Other idols are prestige, career, family, sports, pleasure, hobbies, addictions of all kinds. And the list could go on and on. Now, some of the things I mentioned are, are good things, are they not? When they are submitted to the Lord, such as God doesn't want us to have no money. We need money to live. But it must be submitted to God. There's nothing wrong with having a career and working, but it must be submitted to God. There's nothing wrong with having a family and seeking to love and bless your family, but it must be submitted to God. And when something gets in the way of our worship and service to God, it's become an idol. And so we must learn to love God with everything we have and not give our worship to anything else. So the first four commandments in the Ten Commandments, God's ten instructions to us, deal with loving God. The next six uh, deal with loving others, our relationship with other people who are created in the image of God. And so the fifth commandment is to honor your parents. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. And so we see that the family unit is a foundation of a godly nation. You see, these ten instructions God was giving to Israel as the foundation instructions as they came into the promised land and began to build the nation of Israel. And so the family unit is a foundation of a godly nation. Children are to honor their parents. Not just when they are at home, when they're small, but throughout life. Parents are to be honored by obedience at home, when the children at home, listening to counsel throughout life and providing for in old age. And this is a command, the first command with a promise. If you honor your parents, you're going to live a long life. The next commandment about loving other people is do not murder. Pretty important command, is it not? Command prohibits the intentional or careless killing of an innocent human being. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Now, this command does not prohibit capital punishment. Uh, it does not prohibit the taking of a, of a life in a just war. And we can see that by looking at the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. And Jesus taught us that we violate this command of not murdering simply by hating another person in our hearts. And so Jesus told us the, taught us, and we don't have time to go into it all, but the full extent of many of the commandments. Commandment number seven, do not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery, verse 14. And the rest of the Old Testament law, which, which is really an expansion of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary form of 
God's instructions to us how we should live our lives and the rest of the law expands and shows us the full scope of these commands. In the rest of the Old Testament law, we see that this command prohibits any type of sexual relations outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Jesus taught us that we violate this command if we simply lust after another person in our hearts. Do not commit adultery. Commandment number eight. Do not steal. Verse 15. To steal is to take something from another person that does not belong to us. Obviously, we think of stealing physical items uh, from somebody else. Uh, it also would involve not being careful with another person's possessions, or, and that might lead to a loss. A carelessness would involve taking something from somebody else. Stealing can also encompass taking intangible things from others, such as stealing somebody's reputation or somebody's job or somebody's promotion. There's many things that you can take from somebody that are not physical, tangible things. You shall not steal. Number nine, do not lie. You shall not bear false witness, verse 16, against your neighbor. We ought always to tell the truth. As believers, we should be people of truth. When we say we're going to do something, we should do it. When we make a promise, we should keep that promise. To lie about somebody else or even ourselves is to misrepresent something about a person created in God's image. And lying always leads to other problems. Once you lie, you have to keep up that lie. It usually leads to other lies. And it can lead, often leads to broken relationships and one thing after another. Do not lie. Always tell the truth. Commandment number 10, do not covet. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Now, this is the only commandment. It's the only direction that, that refers solely to a sin of the heart. Now, how can you tell if somebody else is coveting? Well, unless they say something, you don't know. It's something that people think. But coveting usually leads to more visible sins. Coveting someone else's property could lead to stealing. Coveting another person, which I think is, could be equivalent to lust, could lead to adultery. I, I want, it, it actually says, don't covet your neighbor's wife. Well, in my mind, that's equivalent to lusting, which... If you carry through with it, uh, you're going to commit adultery. Coveting what other people have can lead to the creation and worship of idols, such as money, career, and possessions. You look at the neighbor. The neighbor has a nicer car than you. You want to have a nicer car, so you work, 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 maybe seven days a week to get that nicer car because maybe you didn't want to take it, but you wanted to equal. You wanted to keep up with the neighbor or the neighbor's house or something else. So all of these six commands have to do with loving other people who are made in God's image. Now, we went through these ten really fast today, right? Really, really fast. And making some comments about some of them. Uh, but next year, Lord willing, we'll take a more in-depth look at some point in these ten instructions because they deserve a more thorough treatment. But let's talk about them a little more in general. 
What is the correlation between loving God and loving other people? Of course, Jesus taught us we ought to love God with everything we have and we ought to love what? Our neighbor as ourselves. And that sums up the whole law. So those are the two segments of the law. The first four commandments and the second six. But loving God and loving other people are directly correlated. If we have difficulty in loving God, we're going to have great difficulty in loving other people. And if we love God, it's going to help us to love other people. The two are related. Now, these, these general principles apply both to individuals and nations. As our nation, the nation of America, continues to turn away from honoring and loving God, which that's what I perceive. I don't know what you perceive, but overall, I see there's a turning away from honoring and loving God. I don't see many statements from leaders across our whole government saying things like the Founding Fathers said. Now, some still do, praise God. But I see a turning away, and some are saying things totally contrary to what the Founding Fathers have said. But as our nation continues to turn away from honoring and loving God, we see increased what? Violations of God's commands or instructions in how we should love people. Everyone worships something. And so when people don't worship the one true God, they worship idols. And when someone worships an idol, they give that idol priority in their lives. And what do people do with idols? They offer sacrifices to idols. Well, we don't do that here. Well, yes, we do. If you have an idol, you offer sacrifices to the idol. In fact, if you love God, what do we do? We offer sacrifices to God. Oh, not animals anymore, but... We sacrifice our lives to him. And if you worship an idol, you are going to offer sacrifices to that idol in one way or another. Let's take the issue of abortion, for example. Why do people have abortions? What is the lure for having an abortion? Because there's something else in their life that is more important than that baby made in God's image. If that baby made in God's image was the most important thing, they wanted to honor God and have that baby. They wouldn't have an abortion. So what might these idols be? The idol might be money. They don't think they can afford to have the baby. Why? Because the money is being spent on something else. The idol might be a career or a relationship that the baby would get in the way of. The baby may have been conceived as a result of an idol of having sexual relations outside of marriage. An idol of pleasure. And when a baby is aborted, a human being made in the image of God is murdered, violation of the command of God. The, I should know these, the uh, sixth commandment, the sixth commandment. It doesn't matter how the baby was conceived. It doesn't matter how old it was. Uh, murder is murder, whether a person is one year old or a hundred years old. And so uh, it doesn't matter the age, whether the child is within the womb or outside the womb. And so the sacrifice of children to idols, which is really what abortion is, brings God's judgment on the nations that allow it and condone it. In fact, in the Old Testament, they did the same thing. They actually sacrificed their children to idols. Now, these were born children, young children, uh, babies were sacrificed to idols, the idol of Molech. 
uh, was one of the ones. They had a fire there, and it was red hot, and they put the children in the arms of Molech, and they were consumed in the flames. And God condemns the sacrifice of children to idols in very, very strong language. And so what can we do about it? Well, we must continue as a church to continue seeking to help mothers with unwanted pregnancies so that they can keep their babies. And so we can help them with some of their struggles and, and uh, the things that they are struggling with. And we want to continue to seek to eliminate abortion from our nation and from our state. In fact, there's only one abortion clinic open still in a whole state of Missouri. It's right here in St. Louis. And uh, we continue to pray that it would be eliminated, which would be the first time ever in the nation that no state would have an operating abortion clinic. And so God commands us to love others as ourselves and to love even the least of these, the ones that we can't even see with. Well, today we can see them with ultrasounds. Uh, in the past, you couldn't see them at all, but we can see them and we must do what we can to save them as well. God commands us to love others as we love him. Now, what should be our response to God's directions? God gave these Ten Commandments to Israel, as we said, as they were coming out of Egypt. They were headed toward the promised land. These were the foundation building blocks for their nation. They were the directions they were to follow in order to be blessed. In fact, there's large sections of Scripture in the book of Deuteronomy that says if you follow these commands, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow these commands, you're going to be cursed. And it listed off the curses, which are really bad things that would happen if the commands were not followed. What did the people need to do? Well, they needed to choose to obey God's commands. Exodus 24, 7 uh, speaks of what they did. Then he, that is Moses, took the book of the covenant, which is all the laws of God that God had given to him, and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And so the people of Israel made a choice. A choice to do and obey everything that God had commanded through, uh, had commanded them to do. And that was the right decision. But if we keep on reading in the Old Testament, were they able to keep their promise? And the answer is no. Uh, they failed to keep God's directions over and over again. And what happens when you fail to keep God's commands or you disobey them? Well, the Bible calls that sin. And there are consequences to sin. Uh, there are curses that come upon the Israelites. And so the Israelites needed to accept God's forgiveness. The next verse, Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And so in the Old Testament law that God gave to Moses, he'd made provision for people's sins to be forgiven. And their sins would be forgiven through the sacrifice of animals. And when the sacrifices were made, God forgave, or perhaps better saying, he overlooked their sin. And these Old Testament sacrifices had to be repeated over and over and over again. But they pointed forward to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, on the cross for our disobedience, for our sins. And so whenever we go over the Ten Commandments, we need to be careful to understand that none of us and perfectly keep God's laws. There's only one person who's ever lived that kept the laws perfectly, and that's Jesus Christ. 
We all fail. And I would say, speaking from personal experience, we all fail on a pretty regular basis, especially sins of the heart, uh, sins that nobody sees, uh, sins of our thoughts, sins of the heart. And so we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to receive his forgiveness for our sins. And we're going to give an opportunity for that in a few minutes. And so we are saved. We enter into a relationship with God, not through keeping the law, but by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And so what then is the purpose of God's directions? What is the purpose of his commands for, for believers? Well, his commands are our guidelines to living a life pleasing to God, a life that's blessed by God. Now, the Bible does tell us that as believers, God writes his commands on our hearts. And so if we're walking with God, there's a sense we don't even have to know that command, you shall not murder, because we know it's wrong in our hearts, in our conscience. And the Holy Spirit helps us to keep the commands and convicts us when we break them so that we can repent and turn away from them. And when we break God's commands as believers, not only are we not blessed, but we experience the negative consequences of our sin. And something many people don't realize that even when we repent, those negative consequences still come. So if you kill somebody and you repent, you're still going to go to jail. We still reap what we've sown by our sin. And so God wants to give us the strength to more and more live in the blessing of following his roadmap for our lives, following his instructions for our lives. God's commands are a way to live a blessed life, a life that's pleasing to God. And they are also guidelines for our city, for our state, and for our nation. God's commands should be the basis of the laws of our government. All good laws are based on the principles of God's word. And so as American citizens, we should vote for, we should support candidates and policies that are in accordance with God's directions and God's commands. And as we do that, we are God's light, we are God's salt in our nation. And we help prepare the way for God's kingdom to expand and for more people to be saved in the country of America. So as I've said, none of us can perfectly keep God's laws. We need God's forgiveness in order to have a relationship with God. And so to become a believer, a Christian, we need to admit that we've sinned. It simply means to admit that we've broken God's commands. And each and every person has broken at least one of these Ten Commandments at one time or another. We believe that Jesus died to forgive our sins. He rose from the dead. We ask him to forgive us. We commit our lives to following him as our Lord and Savior. And so I'd like to ask us to bow our heads now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. If you've never prayed a prayer like this before, you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this Independence Day weekend. I'd encourage you to, to pray along with me, something like this. Father, today I admit that I've sinned. I've broken your commands. I've broken your instructions. I've disobeyed. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. But I believe that Jesus never broke your commands. He lived a perfect life. 
And as the perfect Lamb of God, he sacrificed himself on the cross. He paid the price. His blood was shed that our sins might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Three days later, he rose from the dead, and I commit my life to following him, the risen Lord, as my master and my savior. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, today we thank you for your direction and how to live the lives you created us to live. How to live lives that are blessed by you. Thank you for, for, your, for your forgiveness when we disobey your commands. Help us to seek it quickly. We ask that you strengthen us this morning and that you encourage us to follow your instructions. We want to live lives blessed by you. We want to be a blessing to those around us. And as we humble ourselves today, as we seek your face today on this weekend where we remember our freedom in America, we ask that you turn this nation back to you, God. May our laws, may our courts, may our leaders govern in a in keeping with the commands and instructions in your word. Give us the wisdom to vote based on biblical principles, not on our own wants and desires. We pray that you'd use our church, God, to lead more people to faith in Jesus Christ. In his name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.